1: Live from San Francisco on the Sports Byline Broadcasting Network, you are listening to Wrestling Observer Live with your hosts, Brian Alvarez and Mike Sempervivi. Are you ready?
2: Are you ready? Let's get it on!
3: How's it going, everybody? Brian Alvarez here on Wrestling Observer Live. We are here every day. Monday through Friday, noon Pacific, three Eastern. Sundays, three Pacific, six Eastern. Now, Saturdays as well with Jim Valley at 10 a.m. Pacific, one Eastern. lot of news to get into here today and unfortunately literally right as we were going on the air the news that harley race has passed away being reported all over the internet harley race one of the one of the all-time legendary hall of famers in this business multi-time nwa world heavyweight champion he was a trainer he was one of the toughest guys in wrestling in that era And Dave Meltzer is going to be joining us in the second segment of the show. We'll talk all about the life and times of Harley Race. He was inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame, the NWA Hall of Fame, the Professional Wrestling Hall of Fame, the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame. One of the greatest wrestlers of all time. If you have memories of Harley Race, you're welcome to give us a call here today on the show. 844 411 5411 is the phone number. That is 844-411-5411. You can send your text messages to 425-780-7566. There's all sorts of stuff up on the WWE Network with Harley Race. If you want to see some of his championship matches, title changes with Ric Flair and others, it's all up there on the WWE Network. My presumption is we'll have a lot of stuff on Harley Race on WWE programming over the next week or so. I would be stunned if we did not. And obviously a lot to talk about on WrestlingObserver.com as well. So more on Harley Race coming up later on in the program today. Also everything that's going on in wrestling. The announcement, well it has not been officially announced, but it does appear that The Miz and Dolph Ziggler are not taking place because Goldberg will be facing Dolph Ziggler at SummerSlam. we got more on the All Out Show coming up. The G1, ratings, and so much more. And we will kick it off after the break. Wrestling Observer Live.
4: At Walgreens, we know that your day doesn't stop for diabetes. So when you've got places to go and people to see, count on Walgreens every day to get expert diabetes advice 24-7. Find all major brands of testing supplies like Walgreens True Metrics in-store and online. And download tools to help you stay on track, like our five-star mobile app with Pill Reminder. At Walgreens, we are your diabetes go-to. Stop by and talk to your pharmacist today. Walgreens, trusted since 1901.
0: Want to fly somewhere? Looking for cheap flights or cheap tickets? be published travel experts are here 24 7 to help 800-754-4531 800-754-4531 800-754-4531 that's 800-754-4531 it has been said that everyone has a book in them but do you have the time or the ability to write your book
5: This weekend at Kohl's, everyone gets Kohl's cash. $10 Kohl's cash for every $50 spent. Earn it on everything. Spend it on anything, even our biggest brands. The more you shop, the more Kohl's cash you'll get. No limits. Plus, take an extra $10 off your $50 purchase of back-to-school items. Plus, free Amazon returns now at all Kohl's stores. Kohl's.
0: 10 off 50 offer valid
2: August 2nd through 18th with promo code BTS10. Some exclusions apply. See store or Cole's.com for
4: details.
1: You are listening to Wrestling Observer Live with Brian Alvarez and Mike Sempervivi on the Sports Byline Broadcasting Network.
3: Come on, come Back on, on the show, Brian Alvarez here, Wrestling Observer Live. Mike Sempervivi, also WrestlingObserver.com, is noted in the opening segment, literally right as we were going on the air, we got word, Harley Race, one of the all-time greats in professional wrestling, passed away apparently today. Don't have a lot of details. It had been reported that he was battling lung cancer, although others had denied that. And he had been hospitalized of late. And there was a report coming out of that hospitalization that did not sound great. And today it appears that he passed away, I believe, earlier today. We'll get more details here as the day goes on. Dave Meltzer joining us in the second segment of the show. To talk more about Harley Race, as noted in the opening segment, All-time, all-time legend in professional wrestling. Hall of Famer in every Hall of Fame that has a Hall of Fame. And multi-time NWA champion. Worked for the AWA, WCW, WWF. He had been promoting his own organization up until, I believe, a year or two ago. Uh, He had still been doing that. And trained all sorts of people. And I don't even know what else to say about Harley Race, but... Mike, any thoughts on the King?
6: He's a a Hall of Famer's uh, Hall of Famer. He really is. Um, Started his career uh, driving around Happy Humphrey, one of the original fat men, the 700-pound Happy Humphrey. Uh, And, and, you know, even before that, the story of Harley Race, the, the legendary tough guy, he was expelled from school for knocking out the principal who tried to break up a fight, which is how he ended up getting into wrestling anyway. Uh, badgered the the the, the Zabisco brothers, the original Zabiscos, not Larry Zabisco, but Stanislaw Zabisco, and and started working for them. Ended up doing more work on the farm for them than he really actually did any wrestling training. He ends up hooking up with Gus Karras, who's Uh, a name that historians would know uh, for his work in the Central States area and being a promoter there. And the story of Harley Race, and I'm sure Dave will tell this story. You're probably going to hear a lot of people tell this story, and I'm not sure how many people know it, of Harley's career almost never got started because at the, the age of 18, he was working in, I think it was in Tennessee, and he got into a car accident. A tragic car accident, it killed his first wife, and it was so bad that he almost lost his leg. And doctors were going to amputate the leg. And Karis had rushed to the hospital, and if it was not for him stopping doctors from cutting off Harley Race's leg, the entire course of wrestling history would have changed. And he did not get back into the ring, that's how badly he was hurt, he did not get back into the ring until 1964 when he went to Amarillo to work for the Funk family. And I believe it was there that he hooked up with uh, Larry Henning, which then, of course, led to his run in the AWA. And that run, uh, as, as Pretty Boy Harley Race and, and, and Henning and Race and being called the Dolly Sisters by the Bruiser and the Crusher, that started off everything. And then, of course, that leads to the the legendary run in the NWA because of his reputation that he had already built, where he ended up being the stopgap measure between Dory Funk Jr. and Jack Briscoe when Funk either got into a wreck on the ranch and hurt himself or just did not want to give up the title on that day to Jack Briscoe, they made sure he was going to give up the title when he was quote-unquote cleared to come back by putting Harley Race in the ring with him. And that started off his eight-time reign as NWA champion. And that, of course, is legendary in itself. And you're going to hear a lot of tributes. You're going to hear a lot about Harley Race. And he deserves every single one of them and probably more of them. So a very, very sad situation. He had been very sick for a long time. He had been running uh, WLW. Uh, which was his training center in, I believe, I can't remember exactly where it was. It was somewhere in Missouri out there, Uh, Eldon, Missouri, I believe that it was. He had a deal with Noah. The promotion gained some traction when Noah was blowing up and Morishima was coming over here to the United States. Uh, That was probably the peak of Harley, to my knowledge, kind of cranking guys out. Trevor Murdoch being one of those guys. Harley loved Trevor Murdoch. Uh, he was one of those guys that came out of there, and there there were a few others as well too. But they did have a nice alliance with Noah that ended up seeing Takeshi Morishima, I believe, when he was still Global Honored Crown Champion, come over and work in Eldon, Missouri, and and Harley was a uh, an integral part of him getting uh, a couple of WWE tryout matches. I think on YouTube, uh, those matches are available where you get Morishima coming out. If I'm not mistaken, using uh, earthquake's music or something like that. I believe that's what it was. But regardless, just an absolute all-time legend. And, I mean, I, again, you've never heard – he almost everything said about Harley Race is in complete superlatives of, of of how great he was, how tough he was, how fast he drove. But you never hear anybody really say how big of a bastard he was or anything like that. Almost all of the stories are positive, and, man, there's going to be a ton of them that come out.
3: From his official Twitter account today at 12.50, we lost a man that fought up until the very last of his existence. More information will be released soon, but just know that he loved pro wrestling and the fans that loved him. Harley Race, we love you. This person here says, rest in peace, Harley. My favorite memory of him is, of course, he Starrcade 83 when he wrestled Ric Flair in that cage match for the NWA World's Heavyweight title, an all-time wrestling legend. This person here says, January 24, 1981, the final Roy Shire card at the Cow Palace. Final match, Harley Race, Pat Patterson, NWA World Title, double disqualification. And he adds, I'm certain Dave Meltzer was there. rest well champ. So we'll talk Mm. to Dave in the next segment of the show about the life and times of Harley Race. I want to mention, since we talked about it on Observer Radio yesterday... It does look to be official that the SummerSlam match is, in fact, Dolph Ziggler versus Goldberg, not Dolph Ziggler versus The Miz. Goldberg is coming back, and as I had speculated, which somehow turned into news from Dave, I don't even know how, Goldberg is avenging his performance against The Undertaker, and he's going to come back here, and he's going to probably destroy Dolph Ziggler in about 30 seconds. And it's going to be an old Goldberg match, I would guess. I don't think they're going to go eight minutes. I could be wrong. I don't know what they're going to do. But I wouldn't be surprised. Let's just put it this way. I don't think that this is Goldberg's last match. I also don't think Goldberg is going to be a regular. But I do think that you're going to be seeing Goldberg every now and then show up and massacre somebody who's not really doing much and sending everybody home happy. So that appears to be the match for SummerSlam.
6: Good. That was a baffling story, uh, and, and this is nothing against you. But the first thing that I thought of when he started to incorporate Goldberg's name was he was going to face Goldberg for two reasons. The biggest one being, I think Goldberg wants to get the the taste of Saudi Arabia out of his mouth and never see everything that went sideways in the in the goal in the uh, Undertaker match. But also because we know Shawn Michaels really doesn't want to wrestle. We've seen that. And, and yes, he he took the super kick, and and okay, that was that. He added McFoley's name, which I, I took as like some sort of, you know, uh, salt in the eyes there as a distraction. He was already laid out by the fiend. We already saw that. The Goldberg thing just made sense. And I am, I think I'm most baffled by the guy or whoever it was from WWF or WWE that called Dave and was like, I can't believe you cracked the code. Like, I, I mean, are they that. Yes, I guess they are they they have their head in the sand that much I guess as far as like what they think they're doing is just like such incredibly uh, high drama and, and just so baffling for everybody to to comprehend. Well, in some ways it is actually baffling to comprehend because that seemed like the most obvious match, especially for a guy like Dolph Ziggler who
3: well, dude, he mentioned really his was name. only back
6: there in the first
3: place because they needed somebody to go to Saudi Arabia and Owens wouldn't go. Dude, he mentioned his name in like three straight interviews. I mean, yeah. how could you not think that that was a possibility? Like, how could you be surprised that someone – you knew it's not going to be Sean. If it's not going to be The Miz – That left Seth Rollins. ain't going to be Seth Rollins. He already has a match. Exactly. And it's not going to be Mick Foley because he can't get cleared. I mean, this is not like strong detective work here.
6: I just, yeah, I mean, congratulations on your sleuth work there. But then again, I, I just, I don't know. I'm just amazed by WWE sometimes. I really am.
3: Back in a moment with Dave, Wrestling Observer Live.
1: You are listening to Wrestling Observer Live with Brian Alvarez and Mike Sempervivi on the Sports Byline Broadcasting Network.
3: Back in the show, Brian Alvarez here, Wrestling Observer Live, Mike Sempervivi, also of WrestlingObserver.com. Dave Meltzer joining us here today for the show under... Sad circumstances here. And before you came on, Dave, somebody had texted this. January 24, 1981, final Roy Shire car to the Cow Palace, final match. Harley Race, Pat Patterson says, I'm certain Dave Meltzer was there. I was, uh, I was there. Believes it may have been a countout and not a, a double DQ. What do you remember of that match?
5: I think it was a double countout, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was a really good match. It was, uh, you know, Patterson had just won the Battle Royal earlier in the show get the championship match and yeah it was the last we didn't know it was the last card Roy Shire was going to promote because they announced a new date you know and then the television was off the air and 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 it was done because he didn't want to fight Vern Gagne who had come into the territory and was starting to run had better tv and access to bigger stars so um yeah that would have been the last match that uh, Shire ever promoted it was a very good match
3: tell us about the life of Harley Race all-time Hall of Famer?
5: Oh, Harley Race, one of the greatest of all time, for sure. Um, there's so much to be said. He was, uh, you know, he was known as a tough guy, tough street fighter. He started around pro wrestling at the age of 15. He was like, um, he used to work on the farm of uh, Stanislaus Sabisco, who was like a legendary wrestler in the at the turn of the century, and um, was probably in the ring, you know, as a teenager for sure and was a big star. He was born in 43, so he was a star by the age of about 19, I think, and um, he had a big run when he was in his early 20s in the AWA. Him and Larry Hennig, is the, the they were nicknamed the Dolly Sisters. They were the AWA World Tag Team Champions, and their feud with Bruiser and Crusher really helped put the AWA on the map and made the AWA tag team title into you know what for years was considered the number one tag team title in pro wrestling. And then after leaving the AWA, he went back home to the Central States. He bought into the promotion. He was the biggest star there. Was a headliner for years, 15, 17 years in St. Louis, um, which was the, you know, probably the top wrestling city in the country at the time. And then got his first world title in 73, beating Dory Funk Jr., which was quite the story because uh, Dory was supposed to lose to Jack Briscoe. There was the ranch accident just days before the match, everyone was skeptical of it was if their accident was real or not. And they didn't really trust the funks, and the NWA was falling apart in some ways. And um, the funks greatly respected race. Everyone did. And so the when when Dory came back um, to wrestle, he'd wrestled a few matches in his territory, but they ordered him to drop the title to race right away in Kansas City, which he did. They had a nice disputed finish but he did do it and that started race was only supposed to be the guy to get the title uh it was a lot of manipulations going on i think that dory senior didn't want um dory jr to lose to jack briscoe although dory senior died right at you know very shortly after this match in in uh, of a attack. and race's job was to hold the title for a short period of time and lose to jack briscoe who was the guy they wanted to be the champion. But he did so well in that, I guess it was about seven weeks as champion, that he became, everywhere he went, um, and the NWA championship was a big deal at the time anyway, but everywhere he went, he got over uh, huge. And and he was essentially a legend in the business from that point on. Everywhere he went, he was a top guy, uh, always a top contender for the world title, um, when Briscoe decided to give up the title, it came down to the only two guys that were even considered were Race and um, Terry Funk. Terry Funk got it, and Race was promised that after Terry Funk gave it up, that he would get it. He got it, held it for four years. There were those, the one week things in between, but I mean, essentially, it was a four year run as the top guy in the business. Who all over the wrestled all over the world, probably the most traveled champion because he went to Japan all the time. He went to New Zealand. He went to Australia. He went to Mexico, which only he and Thez ever went to as far as NWA world champions as far as I can recall. Um and went to other other places around the world. So um yeah he you know he he was probably the you know recognized as world champion in more places and defended in more places than any world champion of of that era, as far as for more companies than any world champion possibly of all time. And um that was kind of his legacy and you know he's still was around the business the rest of his life, training wrestlers and um, running his own local promotion and um, having his affiliation with Japan. Super legend in Japan as well as the United States.
3: Tell the story of when Vince tried to essentially steal the title.
5: So that was in 1983. Vince was about to go national, and Harley Race was the NWA world champion. He had beaten Ric Flair in St. Louis with the idea that he would have a short run and then he would Flair would win it back. It was between Flair and David Von Erich who would get it. David Flair got it. Uh, that was the first Starcade, which was the biggest event in wrestling history up to that point in time. And because it was the first major closed-circuit event of its, to- of its type. Uh, it was the Greensboro Coliseum on Thanksgiving night, 1983. And I don't know if it was the night before or two nights before, but it was essentially right before Vince McMahon, um, who was the owner of uh, WWF, scheduled a meeting with Race and talked with him and and said that um, he offered him a ton of money to no-show Greensboro and to come to the WWF as world champion and build, you know, a unification program, so to speak. And the idea was that he would lose to Hogan. So Hogan would be both win the NWA title and also win the WWF title. So it would, get hogan going and it would leave the nwa without its world champion And they would create a world champion but it would not be a guy who beat the champion in that day in in that era that would have been a huge double cross and you know just a big it would have been a big blow to the nwa but race refused to do that he turned it down and the story goes that vince was so mad that he attacked race which didn't go well for vince (laughs)
3: Sure. Double-legged him they in the bathroom. I've never heard that part of the story. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he,
5: he, the, the story goes that he he rushed Race and tried to tackle him and mount him, and Race reversed him and just kind of let him go, and that was it. Um, in the bathroom, of all places. I mean, that's how the story goes anyway. Um, okay. But Race race was an old-time tough guy. You know, I mean, he, sure. was, a, he was a real-life street fighter um, who, you know, everybody respected and—, and Kind of like if if there was a problem, you called Harley to settle the problem. You know, if somebody was acting up in a bar and Harley was there, the guy usually ended up getting his head split open. And um, because he was, you know, if if someone was a nuisance, Race was the guy to quell the nuisance. Um, You know, and he'd been stabbed and everything like that. He was in a horrible car accident. His wife died in a car accident when he was, God, like in in his teens, I think. 18. Yeah, very early in his career. In um, his career, that they thought his career was over. That at that point, and he, you know, ended up wrestling for the next 31 years. And so even career,
3: after he was attacked by Vince McMahon, he still came in three years later.
5: Well, he needed the money at that point. Wow. Um, but They didn't trust him because there was a situation. Now I think, you know, it, it, it's one of these Hogan stories, so you never know. But but I had heard the story when it happened, and not from Hogan. But um, they had come to. Uh, Either, I think it was probably Kansas City, run a show, WWF, and Harley went to the show, and he was the opposite promoter of the local promotion. And the story is, is that he pulled a gun on Hulk Hogan and scared Hulk Hogan to death. Um, you know, like, you guys shouldn't be here. This is my territory. That was kind of like the mentality at the time. But like a year or two later, um, you know, the company had lost so much money, and Harley went to Vince and said, you know, um, can I come in? And Vince, of course, he was a superstar. Vince brought him in. But they didn't trust him against—like, they could have gone in with Harley Race and Hogan right away. And in certain parts of the country, that would have been like a big dream match. But they didn't go with it right away because they were—they didn't fully trust Harley. When they finally—when Hogan finally trusted Harley, they worked, and they worked everywhere, and Hogan beat him everywhere. It was not as big a program as they had hoped for, especially St. Louis and Kansas City, because really Harley's aura had had dropped by the time—this was like 86— um, you know, if it had been a few years earlier, I think Hogan and Harley would have done amazing business, but they really didn't. Um, but, yeah, yeah, there, there was that was quite the story, too. All
3: right, Mike's got one more quick one.
6: I, You know, I would have a couple, but I guess the, the one I'd say is, I guess, put a little capsule on the story of Harley and Jerry Lawler when he actually became the king and how much controversy that stirred up and how much of a headache it was, I guess, for the WWF trying to run in Tennessee where he couldn't be the king.
5: Yeah, um, they he he'd won this uh, King of the Ring tournament, and then they named him uh, the the king. They wanted to give him a moniker, and actually, I mean, the funny thing is, is um, Harley took it as like a big compliment, the king of wrestling. But when they did it, and no one, a few people know it, but it was told to me it was actually to make fun of him because he took Harley took being the best wrestler in the world seriously. I'll always remember the story. I'm at Steakhouse, and Bachwinkle, you know, had had told me and showed it to me. There was this, this it, I don't think it's there anymore, but in the 80s, when I went there in 1984, I remember it. Um, there's this poster, this, not poster, but a, a frame photo, and it's Harley Race and Nick Bockwinkle, each with their belts, the and NWA belt and the AWA belt. And, and it's, um, Harley signs it, um, Harley Race, six-time real, R-E-A-L, capital <laughs> letters, exclamation point, world champion. And then Nick signs his, Nick Bockwinkle, semi-real world champion (laughs) so harley yeah harley took that world title very very seriously um so um you know best wrestler
6: on god's green earth that's right
5: greatest wrestler on god's green earth that was his nickname yeah that he gave himself so they made him the king of the ring and then so then the tennessee story is jerry lawler i guess had trademarked the king in tennessee so they actually had a court fight and jerry lawler won so in that ter- when Harley Race worked in that area, he could not be King Harley Race because of Jerry Lawler. Well, there you
3: go. Well, Dave, I want to thank you so much for doing the show. We'll have so much more on Harley Race coming up over the next couple of days. Back in a moment with more Wrestling Observer Live.
0: When is a calculator more than a calculator? When it takes me from solving math problems to exploring the universe. Staples is your back-to-school destination. Find all the supplies and inspiration you need. In-store this week, get a Texas Instruments TI-84 graphing calculator for only $89.99 or a TI-84CE graphing calculator for just $99.99. Find all the products that add up to a successful school year. Staples, back-to-school and beyond. In-store only and 8:319. 3 Limit two while supplies last.
6: At Indeed, we believe a resume is a great way to see an overview of a candidate. But you're not hiring a resume. You're hiring a person. That's why Indeed offers tools that help bridge the gap between a candidate and the resume. Like skill tests, which let you actually see a candidate's abilities in action to make sure they're a good fit for the job. See beyond the resume with Indeed. Experience Indeed for yourself today and get a free sponsored job upgrade on your first posting at Indeed.com promo. Terms
2: and conditions apply.
1: You are listening to Wrestling Observer Live with Brian Alvarez and Mike Sempervivi on the Sports Byline Broadcasting Network.
3: Back in the show, Brian Alvarez here, Wrestling Observer Live. Mike Sempervivi also of WrestlingObserver.com. A lot to get into here today. The death of Harley Race, Goldberg, SmackDown ratings, whatever you want to talk about. It's 844 411 Actually, you know what? I'm not going to take calls today. If you want to text us, 425 780 Seven five six six text messages only today, four two five seven eight zero seven five six six. A fine text I just got here. Oh uh, yeah, Brian, you're the best there ever was. Uh, thank you very much.
5: <laughs> actually, thanks,
3: wet. I, I did make that one up. <laughs> I never make them up, but that was funny. Uh, this great text actually says, "What's dumber, Vince trying to take out Harley Race or trying to do a takedown on Kurt Angle on an airplane?" Answer is simple, like. I said this was a great text, but it's a stupid question. It's much, much dumber to try to attack Harley Race. Because when you're on an airplane with Kurt Angle, what happened was they just decided that they were going to have like a, a little competition. And they were playing around, and Vince was trying to take down Kurt Angle, and clearly he failed. And obviously, like Kurt's not going to hurt the guy. He's just going to win. And they'll have a laugh about it and a drink and everything's fine. Trying to attack Harley Race, not a game, just being very upset and and going after the guy. I mean, you're asking for it. If you end up in the hospital, that's on you, dude. So, yes, much, much dumber to attack Harley Race out of anger than to play a game with Kernangle. Angle.
6: Yeah, and Angle even said that. You know, he kind of knew what that was with race. It was yeah, it was it was you know it was either the elevator or the bathroom, and it was the bathroom where, you know, he'd spurned him because of Starcade. You know, if you look at the original Starcade promo too, or the original program, you know, Hulk Hogan is listed in there against Wahoo McDaniel, I think, for the Southern title or whatever it was they were doing at the time. So, you know, that was November. Uh, that was Thanksgiving is when Starrcade 83 was, and Hogan was gone. I think that Wrestling at the Chase taping, which was right in Harley Race's, the heart of the NWA, the heart of Harley Race's uh, entire wrestling world, literally, in that he lived and promoted and had a a cut there as well, too. Um, You know, right there, only a month later. So everything was going really fast, and Vince was certainly on edge. Uh, As he had started to expand and he knew it was going to be a big deal. And yeah, he he figured getting Harley Race was going to be a massive coup. And Vince, you know, hates being spurned. And to go after him and try to double leg him was, I mean, it's just one of those insane only wrestling, only Vince in, in wrestling type of stories. It really is just absolutely nuts.
3: Got this right here as well. What happened to Mandy and Sonya's title match during a title match it was supposed to happen on SmackDown? It didn't happen. I mentioned this yesterday. They did a WWE.com exclusive, where so who was it? It was uh, Billy Kay claimed she had puppy fever. <laughs> I, I'm just thinking about how we started the show talking about the legend of Harley Race, and I'm talking yeah. about this. Billy Kay had puppy fever, so they couldn't wrestle. And when they walked off, they were being stared down by Mandy Sonia and the Kabuki Warriors. And the plan right now probably at SummerSlam, is they're going to do a four-way with those three teams and Alexa and Nikki Cross. So that's that's what's going on there. The are
6: still going to come out with the belt, aren't they?
3: I hope not. Just, I, I doubt spite. it. Listen, <laughs> listen. All I know is this, okay? All I know... Actually, I don't even know. I shouldn't even bother saying it. Oh. The original idea for the match where the Iconics defended the titles was it? it was going to be, like, between 30 seconds and, like, a minute or something like that. So that tells me they probably weren't winning. Now, between now and SummerSlam, I mean, when I heard that idea, it wasn't even a four-way. So, I mean, they've already changed the plans. But, I mean, I I, I suppose they could walk out of it with the titles. It's stupid. They need to get the titles in a team that's going to work and can have good matches And is isn't just a gimmick, but we'll see. The
6: Kabuki Warriors need to work with Sonya and Mandy. Sonya and Mandy are a big future of WWE. I believe that. I think if given their druthers, they're going to be there for a very long time. They're going to be featured very well if they can come around and be good. Even if they don't become good enough in the ring, it's WWE. But it'll help them immensely. Who better to work with them than, than, obviously, Kari Sane, who has worked with 12 year olds in stardom, and, and uh, uh, Kana or Asuka, who is one of the best women's professional wrestlers in the world. Uh, that to me is the absolute no brainer. And I can understand somebody saying, well, they should work with the Iconics too. Uh, let's not worry about that. Let's just worry and focus on Mandy and Sonia. And I'd be very happy with that kind of feud. I really would be.
3: This person here says, is the AEW television show going to be like the Road 2 series or Being the Elite? Well, first off, what? listen, everybody. No one knows what the TV is going to be like until the TV happens. I hope it's a wrestling show. Okay. That would be awesome. But but if you ask me, it is going to be more like the Road 2 series than it will be to Being the Elite. Being the Elite is exceedingly wacky. It is directed towards a very very specific audience and they know that when they go on tnt they need to attract a casual audience on top of the people that are already going to watch the show if if they do if they do being the elite they're going to get their three hundred thousand viewers or whatever and the rest of the people that tune in for the first time are going to be befuddled i think if they do the show like this Road 2 series, I watched the one yesterday with uh, Sean Spears and uh, Tully Blanchard and Cody doing the contract signing. Uh, listen, if I went up to my wife and I said, I'm going to show you something, okay? Let me know if you're interested in what's to come. And hmm. I showed her being the elite nah. or I showed her the road to all out, Okay. She's going to be way more into the road to All Out than she is being... She's not going to have any idea what's going on with being the elite. There's going to be a lot of comedy that goes straight over her head. The Road 2 series, it's so simple. You can show it to anybody. You can show it to somebody who understands wrestling. You can show it to somebody who doesn't understand wrestling. And they're going to get what's going on. There's this guy, Cody. He's training very hard for a match. There's this other guy, Sean Spears, with his slimy manager. They're all there for a contract signing. And Cody walks in. He signs a thing, and he walks out. It's it's it was it, the the production is spectacular. It's it feels real. They, they shoot it like it's something that you would see on ESPN. Maybe not the contract signing part, but the the people looking into the camera talking about being the lawyer and everything like that. I mean, I think that's going to be more like what you're going to see on the show. You're going to see a little bit of wackiness here and there. They're going to try a lot of different things. That is one thing that I can tell you for a fact, okay? They are not going to go in there and do a bunch of stuff where it's like, well, we know that like the smart fans are going to like this and what they're going to do is they're going to try a bunch of stuff. Some of the stuff is going to work oh, it's going to work great. Some of the stuff like the librarian is going to flop. And the whole key is are they going to be able to get rid of the stuff that sucks? and push the stuff that is a success. I think they're going to do a far better job than WWE does, because WWE doesn't care. They just do what they want one way or the other. I think that AEW is going to be a little bit different in that if the librarian thing doesn't get over, they ain't going to do it anymore. This or that. That's what what you can expect to see on the television show. Some of the stuff you're going to like, and some of the stuff you're going to hate, and that they're just going to be trying things. We'll see what works. That's all you can
6: do. This is not rocket science. It's a two-hour wrestling show. It shouldn't be that damn difficult. And all they have to do from being the elite is give you the best of, give you the easiest thing for a non-BTE uh, fan, or at least what they perceive a non-being-the-elite fan, what they would like. Give them a little bit of that. Make the rest of it be wrestling. And everything should really take care of itself. You have enough wacky characters. You have enough things that you need to establish on that show, with traditional pro wrestling means, at least at first. It's it, it get if they there's no reason, and I trust with some of the people that they have there. I am trusting in that when it comes to the the production of this television show. I mean, I, I the thought of it being like being the elite for the whole thing that that's even something that anybody would want or think is a good idea. I mean, you could say maybe time has passed me by. I just think it's incredibly stupid and short-sighted. I, I and I can't. And there are people out there that think the show should be more of that than anything. And, and with all due respect, that's such a Vince Russo level way to look at things. I, it really is. I mean, if that's what people really want first out of AEW, I mean, I just I don't know. We're we're just not even playing the same game here.
3: This person here says, I caught up on SmackDown last night. I absolutely loved the storyline between Kofi and Randy Orton. The video package was excellent. Let me say something about WWE here, too, because everyone's talking about the road to All Out, which was excellent. WWE is perfectly capable of doing stuff just as good, maybe even better. They've got, if you look at every single person that they have on each roster, like AW has a great roster, but WWE's roster, if you consider, like, everybody in developmental, everybody on the main roster, everybody they have in the U.K., everybody they have under contract, they have the greatest roster in the history of wrestling ever yeah. anywhere in the world, okay? Facts. They have a tremendous production team, okay? But the they basket. don't do that. You Here, let me tell you something. That Randy Orton, Kofi Kingston thing was awesome. And I was doing the Filthy Show yesterday. And I was just so excited to talk about it. Tom goes, I didn't watch it. I was like, what? And the reality is, they do so many generic, nothing happening, by the numbers, boring video packages that he saw that Randy Orton was going to be talking about Kofi Kingston, and he just skipped it. <laughs> okay? And to be honest, you can't blame the guy. All right? But I watched it. I watched it. And it was Awesome. And it reminded me of all of the great things that they do on the WWE Network. You ever watch those WWE Twenty Four episodes? You ever watch yeah. the documentaries they put together on the WWE Network? They're phenomenal. And I always hear from people in WWE, and 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 they're, you know, they understand the problems in WWE. Okay, some of them, <laughs> you think we're negative about wwe i mean you should talk to some of the people that actually work there <laughs> but anyway the point of this is like there are people there who who you know they they are wwe they work for wwe and they want wwe to succeed and there, there's part of the the deal with AEW where they're like man i just can't believe that like you know people are into this or whatever blah 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 and, and they they point out like all of this great thing all these great things that wwe produces And it's like, you're right. But all that stuff is on the WWE Network. It is almost never in the body of the show. And most people are only watching Raw or SmackDown. And and a small number of those people that watch Raw and SmackDown watch NXT. They don't even know this stuff exists. Like, this stuff that you guys can do needs to be done... On Raw and SmackDown. And let me tell you something. If AEW kind of starts to take off utilizing this stuff, like all I can hope is that WWE goes, dude, we need to put some of this stuff that we do on TV. Then we're talking about something. Then we're talking about competition making everybody better. But if you leave this stuff on the network and just have a bunch of boxes falling on Roman Reigns with 85 camera cuts on SmackDown, things ain't going to get better. Back in a moment, Observer life.
5: Not too long ago, it felt good to withdraw your cash from the bank, didn't it? For a vacation or a new car. But today, withdrawing your own cash has become risky. Pat Boone here for Swiss America.
0: Pick up your phone and call right now. 800-932-5517. 800-932-5517. 800-932-5517. Once again, that's 800-932-5517. That's 800 847 1183. Are you an active stock market investor? Well, then you know these three keywords. you are listening to Wrestling Observer
1: Live with Brian Alvarez and Mike Sempervivi on the Sports Byline Broadcasting Network.
3: Back in the show, Brian Alvarez here, Wrestling Observer Live. Mike Sempervivi, also of WrestlingObserver.com. This person here says Cody said on Busted Open Radio that he wants to serve the hardcore AEW fans before worrying about attracting new casual fans. We'll see what happens when they run television. Cody says a lot, doesn't he? Yes. They they will be attracting. They will be <laughs> doing what they can to attract new casual fans. They will not be throwing he, being the lead on TNT. He
6: also said they were going to have a mid-south in a sporting field. So Cody is going to say a lot in the lead up to this show. So maybe, maybe, and I don't know if anybody knows this, the son of Dusty Rhodes who would say a lot of things, too. Let's just take a couple of the things with the grains of salt and just see what's put on that screen because that's all that's going to matter at the end of the day, no matter what they say about anything.
3: This person here says, do you think they should have waited until the first SmackDown on Fox for Dolph versus Goldberg? Well, listen, like I said, I don't think this is the last you're going to see of Goldberg. I don't think he's decided, like, you know, I'm going to do one match to redeem myself for the Undertaker match and I'm done. Like, if you're Bill Goldberg and you're being offered... An- I'm not even going to say. If you're being offered a lot of money to, like, show up looking like Goldberg and squash a dude in an old Goldberg WCW squash match, like, why wouldn't you do this forever, as long as you can? There could be another name, maybe, that he's going to destroy on the SmackDown debut. I mean, he's got two months to get ready after he destroys Ziggler, so maybe there'll be a bigger name he does this to. I don't know. or I I don't know what they have planned, but this is what they wanted to do for SummerSlam, so this is what they're going to do. What out of time, everybody. Back tomorrow with more. I want to thank Mike as always, callers and listeners, everybody in the studio. Talk to you again next time. Wrestling Observer Live.